Welcome to the T-Hub Podcast. I'm Leland Steele. And I'm Moby. And this is a random as fuck cast. Yes, it is. Uh, basically what happened is it's the Sunday before the family day holiday, which in Canada lands on Monday, February 18th. And I was at home drinking wine and Leland was at home drinking wine <laughs> and he just randomly brought up recording. And naturally I assumed he me- meant in his hubris that he would record alone. But of course oh, I said, yeah. well, yes, I would love to walk over and do a session because I only live five blocks away. Yep, I was mid-episode when Moby just showed up out of the blue. I did, and I said, record me, or fuck, we're recording. And so now (laughs) we're here. This is going to be incredibly off the cuff, but most of what I come prepared with every episode is anyways. So from me, you won't hear a difference. (laughs) And from me, I don't know what the hell is going to happen as I keep drinking. We have, Leland has the largest wine glasses, I think, of all of Teahud. Yeah, and um, you were like, oh, obligated to fill them at least halfway. You are. And at then I look at halfway. how my bottle of wine, which I brought, drains yeah. as I fill this thing halfway. And it looks, th- this is like a polite level of wine. This is polite. <laughs> yeah, after it's you, not even excessive. After you drank half of it. Mm. Yeah, but as the bottle empties, so fills the glass. Such is life. <laughs> That's awesome. That sounds legit. <laughs> but... Uh, Anyways, listener, I also have a 40 of cheap vodka here in case I, remember, so. <laughs> I see that. <laughs> glass of ice, just this, this is just classic tea hut, baby. Classic tea. <laughs> um, what are yes. we starting with? What are we doing? Well, we got a banter about some shit, and okay. um, okay, I guess I can bring this up in banter. This is one of the things I told you that um, I didn't want to tell you because I kind of wanted your thoughts off the cuff. But I'll start with a question: Have you ever played Resident Evil Three? No. No, you have not. Okay. Because there's a lot of online speculation now with how popular Resident Evil 2 is, which of course we reviewed in our last episode. Um, Resident Evil 3 is now almost like a slam dunk to be remade. No. Okay, I think it actually is the Resident Evil that most needs a remake. Maybe that or 4, but that's a whole other can of worms. Oh, we can't remake four. But I don't. I want four to be scary. Remake it, no, make it they, scary. They, uh, four is four. You gotta leave four alone, okay? I, I would of course buy and play a remake of our Resident Evil Three. Obviously, yeah. it's, of course, never having played the original. Yeah. But from what I hear of the original, was that it was a very, very poor follow up to Resident Evil Two. It it was. I it would. It was almost as if like it was could have been like. RE 2.5 as far yes. as yes. Know, quality now, of product. Me with my Goo Goo Baby mode, that transfers to liking games. So there are a lot of games I like, even if they're pretty average. And I would call Resident Evil 3 average. I beat it once. I tried playing it a second time and just kind of let things go. Um, it's an interesting game because it takes place mostly in the streets of Raccoon City. which offers its own dynamic. It's a lot of winding pathways. You have to use the map. You have to use the map, especially in the beginning. Um, But what a lot of people are saying is that Nemesis, who is the biggest part, you must know Nemesis. I mean, he's from the film, Yeah, the second film. The fans believe that Mr. X's AI was so good that they could easily put that AI in a Nemesis, just make him faster and a little bit more brutal. Like, yeah. because he would have, like, a rocket launcher and some other actual weapons. Right. But. That would be scary. <laughs> yeah. It, it would, though. It would, though. Mr. X's AI is good. They may yeah. put, they may deploy him in spots we hate. <coughs> Ava's, you know, scenario. <coughs> but right. I think overall, he, he was a well, really well done character. And, uh, yeah, I think fans are onto something. I think it would be pretty straightforward for them to remake Resident Evil 3. I, I think it happens, by the way. I think it totally happens within three years. Wow, wow. So. Well, I like I said. I mean, I'll I'll one hundred percent play it. I one hundred percent buy it and play it. Um, ah, yeah. It's just it's funny. It just um, that kind of makes you think of remakes in general. Like, where is a studio's time best spent uh, looking at its back catalog as far as you know games that didn't live up to hype or disappointed versus games that are 
were incredibly popular and held in high regard to gamers at the time, which one of those two do you think you should remake? Mm. Which one is the most assured to make you the most money? Like the one that was already popular, right? Right, right. Or that's a good point. I mean, how many of the same people at Capcom that was working on those games are still around at Capcom? Who knows? Yeah. So do they feel like, man, we can do it right now. We have the technology. I bet you they do make the feel six that. million dollar man. How many of those Capcom employees were around to remake two? Right. I mean, that's right. the thing. And I think they can do it, but I think you bring up a good point, though. Like, do I want Capcom to spend the majority of their time and money remaking the back catalog, which is cool? Don't get me wrong. But I mean, I really wanted to see where Resident Evil Seven goes with Chris Redfield, you know, rescuing the main character, which basically was the only Resident Evil connection in that game. I want to see where Resident Evil 8 goes. And does RE2 cause a big several-year delay in RE8 getting released? I think that's very possible. Right. If they keep up the remake. I mean, but, like, surely Capcom is large enough company where they could have teams working on both? You'd hope. I'd hope. And then even, you know, drop them a year apart or whatever. But still, they can be in production at the same time, can't they? Like, what's stopping them from that? Like, I, how many other things are they working on? How many other fucking Sonic games do they got to put out? <laughs> Sonic? Capcom? Okay. Uh, Mega Man. How Meg- many Mega Man games do okay, they have there to we put go. out? Mega Man. Mega Man. Well, we had Mega Man X like 50 years ago. So now we got to have like Mega Man triple. The Mega Man X series is sweet, though. Okay. So well. if they want to keep putting out Mega Man Xs, uh, okay. But fine. you know what? This... I thought Capcom with Mega Man decided they had to go full 2D and go retro to keep Mega Man going. In which case, it doesn't take a lot of money and resources to program Mega Man. Sure, sure. At least they did that. I don't know if they reverted back to 3D, but they did go back to their 2D 8-bit roots just because it was the only way to make pure pure Mega Man for a Hmm. time. Yeah, Capcom, we we have faith in you, but don't, don't ruin our faith. Don't you know, make a cheap remake of Code Veronica or some shit. Well, I mean, yeah, where do they stop then? I actually... Where, I think Where does it stop? If Resident Evil 3 hits it out of the park, assuming they remake it, I don't think it stops. I think they go to Code Veronica next, and I think in 10 years or 8 years, they do Resident Evil 4. Like, I hate to make a seem old, buddy. <laughs> buddy, I hate to make a seem old. Resident Evil 4 is 15 years old. Ugh. Okay. 15. Right. Yeah, that's in pretty old. In 10 years, it'll be an antique by the official dictionary <laughs> definition. Whoa, an it antique really in 10 years. Okay. 25 years is an antique. But Resident Evil 2 isn't 25 years old. No, but that kind of goes to my point, which is they Resident took one of to they be... took one of their super popular Resident Evil games and remade it. Right. By the time so Resident Evil 4 hits old. 25 years, one of their super popular Resident Evil games, I think they'll remake right, it. Right, right. Um, what would they change? Oh, I think you, instead of Ganados as like this big group that are just cannon fodder, I think you do them more like uh, zombies in RE2, just maybe a little faster. Um, you add some new creatures, you know, like Dr. Salazar, but a little, a few more kind of horrific creatures like that. I think you can give in that game, especially, you can give Leon a very isolated, lonely feel amongst the town and the castle if you kind of make the enemies a little more sparse. Hmm. Um, I mean, fuck, you could make those monks in the castle actually scary for once, too. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, definitely Ardvor isn't scary. Like, it's, it's intense in some parts. It is intense in some But that is because that intensity is action-driven. Yeah, yeah, man, I don't it, know. It is my favorite iteration of Leon, though. Yeah. It Leon's really a, is. He is, he is badass and cool. And he's confident, but he doesn't come across as cocky. He's not Chris Redfield and RE6 punching boulders. RE5. You know, yeah. RE5, whatever, with, yeah. you know, roids sticking out of his ass, so. Well, they had to. They were surrounded by lava. It was their only way to take out Wesker. <laughs> well, you, you just punch the boulder. Yeah. I mean, it's just the natural I mean, thing to do. He didn't just punch it. I mean, he, he could put his shoulder into it a little bit. <gasps> he got it rolling. That's what it was. Uh, Look, he anyways, did what needed to be done. He did what needed to be done. Capcom, you do what needs to be done. Um, <laughs> you got anything to throw at me, will you think? Uh, I mean, not really. I've been watching lots of Netflix. Just okay. this weekend, I watched the first season of Titans. 
All right. Yeah, I think you mentioned that on Facebook. Yeah, and I, I didn't hate it. I didn't fucking hate it. That's an A plus for you, listener from Leland. I, I think I liked it. <laughs> wow. Okay, it took a little bit to get rolling. Um, you know, the first couple episodes, like, there's a lot of setup that they need to do, I guess. Um, Robin's actually like pretty cool. Uh, you actually get to see like another Robin too. Um, the last episode was really good. Okay. It ended, I think it, it ended with a lot of potential for season two. Season two could be really good if they took a few of the downfalls and just, and fixed them basically. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I think all the performance, the writing was not garbage. Surprisingly, like the, the inter-character dialogue was actually pretty okay. Like I, I'm hesitant to say good cause I, I need to digest it a little more. But it was good. I, I don't know. <laughs> I liked it. It was gold, Jerry. It was no, gold. No, it wasn't gold. It was oval teen. Why do they call it round teen? The tin is round. The <laughs> cup is round. <laughs> uh, it was good. It was good. But I also watched um, Umbrella Academy, which is also okay. it based off of a Dark Horse comic IP. And that was much better. That mm. was very interesting. Stars Ellen Page is one of... Uh, so in Umbrella Academy, basically this like rich excessively rich guy for for whatever reason unknown in season one or, or whatever on a single day 49 women around the world simultaneously gave birth having never not been pregnant wow. the day before they just these babies popped out uh this billionaire guy went around trying to buy them all managed to adopt seven of them and they have powers it's a superhero Oh, that's a crazy idea. So, so yeah, this 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 eccentric man put together this cat. He started this umbrella academy to make this team of superhero and like train them as kids. So they all have like terrible childhood because the guy's an asshole. They got like a robot for a mom. Uh, they have wow. there's a talking chimpanzee that walks around. <laughs> what a creative show! It's nuts. Uh, it's really cool. Their powers are. You know, they're not, like, ridiculous, overblown powers. or It's cool. So, like, the premise is, like, one of the one of the kids can, like, like, Nightcrawler, he can, like, teleport and stuff. But he can also manipulate time. So he goes forward in time, not really knowing what he's doing, gets stuck, and then manages to find his way back. And, well, guess what? The world is ending in eight days. How the fuck are we going to fix it kind of thing? <laughs> so these, you know, broken siblings that have not really even spoken to each other in forever uh come together at their father's death and they they kind of you know reunite and shit happens from there it was it was good i'd certainly recommend it wow that is really really cool yeah some good performances again the writing's really good um like ellen page is one of the these seven kids um nobody else really of note i don't think nobody i recognized from anything but Hmm. uh i liked it it's good Awesome. Awesome. Um, yeah, I don't know if this crosses really into T-Hud podcast territory, but I have been watching the Ted Bundy series on Netflix. Yeah. Just because you mentioned Netflix. Fuck, if there's any place to bring it up, it's the random cast. <laughs> um, it's I'm mostly watching it like I knew of Bundy from the days when I took my psychology degree. Um, and uh, people... I'm not going to say a certain gender, but people seem to have a fascination with Ted Bundy. And I don't really get why. Like, on a very surface level, I guess he's a handsome guy. I think that is more, actually, uh, serial killers in general. But I think Bundy's the only one that looks attractive. Okay, okay. But I have been told that... (laughs) Being into serial killers is a, quote, very basic bitch thing. End quote. (laughs) Thank you, listener Riley. (laughs) That's what I have been told. (laughs) Okay. Can either confirm nor deny, but that's what I hear. (laughs) Well, and I remember when I took, I maxed out my criminology electives at university. Man, if there was one course you wanted to find the hottest women, it was in criminology. Oh, yeah. No joke. Like, it was scientific. You could take a measurement. And... You know, I think Bundy's a handsome serial killer. I think he was a charming dude. But you listen to him on these tapes that they play on Netflix, and he is really creepy and just arrogant and such a turnoff. But I guess I'm a dude. 
Um, so I don't really get the whole fascination, but the whole fact that Netflix is now having to warn people to not idealize Ted Bundy Whoa. is is scary to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, come on, guys. I mean, this guy did unspeakable things that I won't even mention on the podcast. So, yeah. uh, but it is worth a watch. I think if you're fascinated with uh, true crime at all, um, and you're okay with kind of a half biography, half dramatization of um, Bundy in these interviews where he took these tapes, then you should listen to it but uh, or watch it. Yeah, um, but I just wanted to throw that out there. Hmm. So yeah, that's interesting. Um, I was having a conversation with a listener. Uh, last night, we listener Gabe she and I we went out and saw a movie because she's in town. Nice. And um, she had mentioned that she wanted to see the uh, the movie of Ten Buddy with Zac Efron, but of course we couldn't find it playing anywhere, mm. or whether or not it's out. I don't. I don't know. But um, she was saying like, and we were kind of both commenting on like you know, classic thing in in film industry like there's it it's hard you're hard pressed to find some originality these days um endless and like oodles of films are getting remade yeah speaking of i mean remake of pet cemetery this year remake of child's play this year for god's sakes like oh yeah that one pissed you off they're they're well i don't know who knows it might be okay uh it's got Arby plaza in it i'm on board with that but the point being like in addition to the remakes and now it's uh there's been a couple like serial killer films being made like is is this the whole new trend that the entire industry is going to move? Like, of course, when I say entire industry, that's hyperbolic. But you get you get my meaning. I get like, your drift. We were having this conversation, and I think it's very interesting that they got to move to what is popular. And true crime is incredibly incredibly popular, yes, and is. has grown in popularity like exponentially in the last few years. It's been slow burn, man. Like for a number of years, it's been growing. And yeah. it's not well, like a brand new phenomenon. Just the number of true crime podcasts out there is insane. Like you could not possibly listen to all of them. It's crazy. Wow, it's I did crazy. not know. There's so many. Like basically, you gotta like you latch onto a host that you like. You're set because like I mean they all generally cover the same stuff. Of course, they try to find some of the lesser known stuff. But when you have such a saturated market, everyone's looking for the lesser known stuff. That right. means lots of people are gonna be doing it because they're gonna be finding the same stuff, <laughs> right? Unless they got some weird in or some something somewhere, like they're all going to find the same stuff. They're they're ultimately going to come to the same research done, right? It's going to be you just got to find who you who presents it to you in in the most you know way the the best way that caters to yourself, I guess. Do 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 you have a recommendation? Because like I'm a true crime guy, um, I love to listen. Okay, one of the ones that I listen to and. He has a, a really big following is Sword and Scale. Sword and Scale. I hesitant to recommend it because I don't like the host. Oh. I think he's a fucking blowhard. And he he, in, he injects his own opinion into, you know, fact-based elements of his show, which I don't like. He jumps to so many conclusions. He, he makes okay, wide, broad, wide-swiping statements. Um that really just pissed me off but he does his and his team and there's more than just him on this podcast at this point they do their research and they present like they present the facts like you do get the facts this is what i'm saying but it's just like you got to take the good with the bad i think Hmm. um but again it's hugely popular uh he has the team now where he's he's uh able to find these lesser known phenomenon so or killers or whatever you write um i don't know yeah give it give it a listen if you if you can't stand the host i don't know Uh, i'm the type of guy you know me i when i start something it's difficult for me to stop it because i don't know why i have this weird completionist thing that (laughs) even drives me fucking crazy (laughs) so i continue to listen to him i don't know but Um, i think he's a fucking blower I will make one recommendation, listener, if you're into true crime TV at all. Um, on YouTube, it's completely free. I think they only have five or six episodes. It's a show called Autopsy. Just, like, type in Autopsy plus show. Like, literally, the plus sign plus show. Um, you'll know you've come to the right show if it's if they're interviewing a former, I think it's a New York medical examiner. 
Um, it's hardcore. It's the most hardcore I've ever seen. Like they don't blank out stuff, and Ugh. I don't know how it's on YouTube. Yuck. Um, there's it's one not episode. Monetized. I can tell you, it's not monetized. No. Like that. <laughs> no, there's one episode where you hear a woman die live, which from oh, being slashed in the neck, which ew. is like the worst that is so sound gross. I've ever heard. That I is, can't listen to it a second that's time. Giving I skip it. I skip that's giving me shivers. That's giving me shivers. It's worse than you would think. It's, it doesn't sound human. I don't like that. So, But if listener is into that stuff... Ooh, I um, hope you're not, you fucking sicko. Because <laughs> we, know, we know Marty, God rest his soul, was. So <laughs> he was all into that shit. Fucking sicko, Marty. I know, I hate that guy. So glad you're gone. I know. So glad you're dead. Yeah, let's burn his ashes, piss on him. Um, anyways, time to go to the first segment, or do you have any other banter? No, I'm good. Let's do it. All right. Well, I'm too inebriated to remember which of the two segments we are starting with. Oh, it doesn't matter. You want to talk about some animation? Yeah, let's do that. This is Movie Musings. We call this one Animaniacs. Um, and this was inspired by myself, because... <laughs> <laughs> There is no prior. And the the genius mastermind behind this segment was Moby. (laughs) Of course. Just like the entire show. Mm. Um, So this was inspired by Toy Story 4 coming out this year. And I've told everyone who will listen to me, which is about two people, that when I went to Toy Story 3 on opening night at our local cinema at the 7 p.m. showing, there was not a single child in the entire audience. I looked very carefully. It was only adults. <laughs> oh, dude. Only adults. No, what happened was, I mean, you, <laughs> I you looked can very laugh. carefully for the Very those carefully, listener. I was scouting out. Um, what happened was from my seat, I couldn't see any kids. And I was yeah. like, no way. This is 7 p.m. opening night for Toy Story. And so I looked around and it was all adults, my age or older. Yeah. And. It really rubbed into me how animation has affected our generation, the changes in animation in our generation. And I kind of wanted to go over with you just some of our favorite animation, what works, what doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and why are we still watching in our 30s? Yeah, okay. Well, let's address that last sure. question. It's just because like it's being made to still entertain us. That's bottom I, yeah, line. <laughs> and that's the point that you brought up right before we started recording when we were discussing this potential segment was you said it's now being written for us. Right. And whoever writes um, animation nowadays, good animation, deserves a medal because they're fucking writing like two, it's almost like two audio tracks in one. They have to write to entertain the little kitties who don't really know what's going on except cute characters having fun. But they have to put in these anecdotes and jokes to make the adults like us laugh. Right. And and it works. And I think back, the first one that really worked that way for me was Emperor's New Groove. And I think it was 1999 or 2000. Mm -hmm. That was the first animation show I can remember that really hit that dual track uh, sort of thing. That was a family favorite. Um I don't know. Do you have any thoughts to, to expand on? Um, you're a big fan of lots of animation, Leland, so... Yeah, I, I like cartoons. Well, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I like tunes. <laughs> tunes are fun. Okay, honestly, even though just the the segment's titular show, like Animaniacs... Yeah. That's a oh, perfect yeah. example of, of, a show be, of a show for children being aired at the times children will be watching cartoons, but so entirely adult... Oh, you hit the nail on the fucking head. Because I told you this. Remember, like, two years ago we did an Animaniacs binge at your place? Yeah. And what did I... I told you at the time, I said, I didn't enjoy the show when I was a kid. But now that I'm an adult, I love the show to death. And it's because that first track of entertainment, this really silly slapstick stuff was like, whatever. As a kid, I didn't get it. As an adult, I get all the references. Yeah. And they're so good. They are really good. Yeah. They're really good. Yeah. Chicken Boo. We love oh, Chicken Boo. I love boo. Chicken Boo. I, oh my God. I want like a four hour Lawrence of Arabia epic starring Chicken Boo. <laughs> that man is a general. He's not a chicken. <laughs> He's no cluck. I know a cluck. <laughs> that was Nixon. Oh, yeah. that was so good. In the Forrest Gump one. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It just, even, um, I mean, yeah. Uh, a incredibly highly revered animated series, of course, Batman the Enemy series. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you were saying again before we recorded, like 
just the the prevalency of the fa- the fandom the fandom and yeah. the fandom behind the voice actors themselves too right like yes. these these vo- the voice actors from those shows they drive you to other projects that are completely unrelated and i think that is the mark of a a talented uh, actor voice actor it doesn't matter either right Th- that's just i think the mark of talent now when you say unrelated for example, you're meaning like Kevin Conroy, who is Batman, the voice actor of Batman. Yeah. He drives you to other Batman projects. Is that what you mean? I would, completely I would watch or listen to anything Kevin Conroy. Really? Kevin okay. Conroy is my Batman. And as is, he's the Batman for an entire generation of children, I'm sure. But yeah, anything with Kevin Conroy in it, I'll, I'll fucking see it. I'll pay money to see it. Is, uh, is Mark Hamill your Joker? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He, yeah, he has to be. Of course, it's not gonna be fucking Jared Leto. <laughs> oh, well, I wasn't going there, Leland. <laughs> Way to take it from zero to sixty. Yeah. No. No. It just. Um. Yeah, I think that the voice actors have a major, major role in the continuation of those properties. I mean, I remember when Killing Joke, Mark Hamill basically drove it into production, saying, "I will come back and one hundred percent for sure do." more batman if it's a killing joke right and they made it happen and his segment of course was awesome yeah despite the overall movie maybe being a bit of a right let down to, to some people right but it's it's interesting like i feel like those voice actors from batman the animated series i guess from all the series because they're bringing animaniacs back and toy story still going on there's a lot of investment with these voice actors with their characters that i find very refreshing yeah, I, I you know I think the the process of voice acting I find so interesting. Yes, just because like how did how did these actors connect so well with what is like what is actually just going on on a page? I mean, they're just looking at a page, like it's they're looking at a script. I, I don't. How do they connect so well with it? I just well, blows my mind sometimes. I remember I saw this. Um, on YouTube, I saw this uh, kind of behind-the-scenes thing with Mark Hamill as the Joker. And he basically tries to make it like theater production. He'll he'll be out of his chair, voice acting, like doing big movements and acting the Joker basically in the right. scene. And often Kevin Conroy will be opposite of him. But Conroy is more a conservative voice actor who just kind of sits there and does his thing. Right. But somehow by having him in the same room... Mark Hamill is able to better express himself as the Joker. Well, I wonder, yeah, that totally, I think, makes a difference. Um, A talented enough voice actor, though, certainly does not need to be in the same room with their co-actors to make their presence known and to make an impact, an impactful performance. Sure. But I'm wondering, like, the Joker is very flamboyant. He is a very, you know, flashy kind of character whereas of course batman is the more reserved so i think that entirely reflects on the characters that they are they're 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 taking their these personas that they're taking on mm-hmm. so that's interesting that's very interesting i know uh kevin Conroy does i think he does a, he's like mostly a stage actor i think mm. i think he does a lot of um like plays and, and stage performances right so it'd be really cool to see him in something it would be yeah it would be <laughs> I mean, they're both getting up there now, I guess, but... Reminds me of the time I was at Bart on the Beach and Gaeta from... Oh, uh, yeah. Gaeta Battle from, from Battle, Battlestar Galactica was there. I wanted to go up and be like, Gaeta! <laughs> Where's your leg? You have two legs! <laughs> two legs, Gaeta. <laughs> um, yeah, and, I, you know, I just think um, animation... I want to jump back to Toy Story here because, for me, that's a very meaningful series... Because CGI ended up revolutionizing animation. Within a few years, outside of niche projects, like ironically, Batman, the animated series, the various projects for that, um, 2D animation died. It was dead by like the year 2000, 2001. And Toy Story is the only franchise that came out when I was a kid. I was 11. It was made exactly for my time. And I, I kind of hold on to it as far as uh, CGI animation goes. Yeah, and sorry, listener. You may hear some 
Oh, that's okay. I've got of wine. <laughs> I've, got, I've got vodka on the go, listener. I've got wine. I've got energy drinks. I've got protein bars. You're gonna hear <laughs> we, from a moment. We're going all night, baby. <laughs> we will go all night, baby. Well, you know, I've actually never seen Toy Story three. Mm. I know. Um, but we gotta watch it. I'll buy it. Leland. Michael Keaton is in it. He's full Keaton. Oh He's boy. full Keaton. Okay, yes, I would love to see it, but like you can't watch it anywhere. You can't watch these Pixar movies on any on any of these devices. Like Fuck. very few of them are on these streaming devices, right? Yeah. Mind I, you though, I have, you know, I'm predominantly Netflix. I don't know what's on Hulu or like Amazon Prime Video, but I'll like, see if I can hunt it down. Netflix doesn't get shit it. for that. Those streaming doesn't get any of those Pixar movies. No, they don't. I think cuz it's they realize their audience is people like us. People like Moby who are, you know, 33 years old and still going back to Fuller House. That's, that's right. Are they having their final season? They are having their final season. I'm still catching up. It was a good show. I Honestly, it was a good show. There Look, I, I liked season one. I couldn't stomach season two. You couldn't? No, I It was I a little there. too over the top. And they tried too, too hard. It was, it was too, too much. much. It was too much. Yeah. Um, and those little fucking kids aren't likable. I hate those kids, man. Yeah, they're not as good as the original no. people. It's like every time the original cast is on stage, you're like, fantastic, great. But it's when it's just those kids, nah, nobody yeah. cares. Yeah. Nobody cares. Um, tangent. Tangent, I know. I know. I'm trying <laughs> to think other animations. So I mentioned Emperor's New Groove. That was one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, do you have any opinion on Disney transferring their old animation like Lion King, Beauty and the Beast? And now Aladdin to, to live action live bullshit. Action. Do you have an opinion, Leland? I do have an opinion. And that opinion is unnecessary. Clearly, it is a cash grab. Right. 100% it is a cash grab. Right. What service are they providing to their audience with these fucking movies? And you know what? I agree with you. There's, I agree with there's you. Not, this because is not fan service. Neither of those three movies were poorly done. Nobody right. would say that there's that they're not classics. They're only maybe say within the last thirty years, which I guess is a while. But look at like fucking Snow White. That's like from the forties. Yeah. Like there is no reason to remake these movies except from for money. For money. For money. Just for fucking money. For it doesn't make any sense. Like how how could anybody look at Will Smith's performance of the genie? And not immediately be like, wow, I wish this was Robin Williams. I hope that movie bombs. What the fuck? No, I seriously hope Aladdin bombs. There are for several reasons, some which may not be palatable to mention even on our R-rated podcast. But I'll say that I don't like how Aladdin was made from day one. I don't like how the genie looks. I felt like the first trailer fell completely flat. Yeah. Completely flat. Yeah. And... You know, Lion King actually looks okay. They bring back James Earl Jones as Mufasa, who's my favorite character. Okay, but where movie. the fuck is Jeremy Irons? Yes. What the fuck? I know. What the fuck? You're shooting yourself in the foot with you with the more mature crowd who's gonna go see it. Like what the fuck? What the actual Again, fuck? <laughs> all they want you to do is buy a ticket and go see it. Yeah. They're gonna make it yes. average to slightly above average, so you don't come out hating Disney. Yeah. They're going to pour a ton of money into it. Look, I I would 100% be on board for new animated, like redone animated series, I think. Yeah, I think I would be on board for that. Like if they, if these were animated okay. and they were redoing and they updating some of the animation on, in some of these movies. Okay, um, okay. Maybe, you know, I don't know what the, the guidelines are for locking away these movies in their vault or whatever. But maybe pulling some of those back out of the vault here and redoing them, and then again, again, it's to make money. But like, why, I don't understand why they need to be live action. What are they trying to showcase? It makes no sense. And why the fuck would Will Smith agree to be the genie? Why would anybody agree to be the genie? How much know. are they paying Willard Smith for being the fucking genie? Well, I I don't know how much they're paying him, but it's something. And Fuck. you know what pisses me off a little bit too, the technology honestly isn't there. I mean, my brother really liked Beauty and the Beast, but the technology isn't there. It doesn't cross the uncanny valley yet. And yeah. so you're making these remakes that in 10, 20 years are going to look very dated. And it, it's just a quick buck, man. 
It's just a quick yeah, buy. Yeah. And it's, it's taking... Like it. Disney is pouring resources into them because they know they're going to sell. Yeah. They will sell. And they're taking their efforts away from more original content. And I hate to go back to it, but where else have we seen Disney not be original than Star Wars, especially The Force Awakens? Uh, Look what they did. They basically remade A New Hope. And you know what? I liked that movie, Disney. I liked it. But as part of, a tr- <laughs> as part of your track record that I'm seeing right now, right. this this is disturbing to me. Yeah, it doesn't play well. This is disturbing It to does me. not play well. I, I don't know. So, like, literally someone is... Someone is looking at this analysis and going over these spreadsheet numbers and be like, hey, if we put this, if we put in X, we're going to make Y. And that Y is a much larger number than X. That. That's what it's boiling that, down that's, to. It's the exact it's, problem. Oh, that's so exactly what animation is becoming, is yeah. exactly what you just said. It's a well, bean that's counter what saying. Disney is. This yeah. is the safest way to invest X and to reap Y. Right. And the safest way is to do a live action remake of a classic property uh, that doesn't need to be done. Honestly, the consumer, we need to talk with our wallets more, man. We do. We need to speak with our wallets. It's just Disney is too big now. Like they're too big. They're, they're too, too big. safe. They're doing a lot of things, a lot of characters from other pop culture realms, a lot of justice they're of course treating a lot of different things very well very eloquently and you know satisfying the fan base the fandom surrounded these surrounding these characters but they're just too big they're too big to not fail they are too big to not fail that's interesting. Bank of America. <laughs> well, it's, you you look at what's happened. It's going to go down in history that their current chairman, who I think is retiring either later this year or next, Bob Iger, that this is his thing. He bought up a ton of franchises. He swelled Disney into this gigantic, you know, mega property, which it already was. But I mean, he brought it to new levels. Yeah. He's going to go down very favorably internally for Disney in their history for the amount of money he makes them. But... I think that's come at the cost of originality, number right. one. Right. And I think there's going to come a point where this is going to be seen financially as a golden age for Disney. But as far as content goes and originality and con- – well, content I already said. This is going to go down as a dark age. I huh. really believe this. Okay. I, I think we're going to look back and we're going to say for several years, Disney spent all their money doing soft reboots and remakes right. that – that nobody really wanted. Right. And people saw them and enjoyed them for five minutes. You know, coming out of the theater, they left with a little bit of a euphoria high. Sure. But... And then they, it was in one ear and out the other. But as far as creativity, as far as originality, this is a dark age for Disney. Wow. Okay. Uh, okay. And... Okay. That lends to missing out on, like, a generation's worth of potential classics. Yes. You think through the history of cinema. Yes. That's all the of these point. remakes and reboots, we no longer will be getting to, to be, you cannot look back on a decade and be like, wow, this decade was packed. Look at, look at the eighties versus the seventies and versus the nineties. Look, look at all these creative, yes. cult, even cult classics. Cult classics are not being produced as quite as often. And I know that is contrary to the, concept of cult classic but really it's very easy to for something to be a cult classic nowadays right like right. you can put that label on like anything that's over 20 years old and be like yeah that's a cult classic like if you like it you're gonna be like that's a cult classic My, whether or not it actually is maybe debatable but the look at the actual dark age what that was where where we get that term from it was the age of technological stagnancy where humanity really didn't move forward you know there was just kind of this um infighting and just stasis basically and that's where disney is creative creatively um so does that create a vacuum then for other companies and studios to fill it it does and are they filling it no they're not (laughs) No, they're not. Right, because they see the success of Disney. They see the success of the the man on the mountain, right? The man on the tower, and be like, well, shit, 
This is how they got there. Look, the steps are already paved. They're already laid. We just got to walk and up. That's them. the problem. I wish I could point out to you one company that's trying to move in on this creative vacuum, but I, I haven't seen any. Well, and you know what? I, I don't even know how much of blame we can lay on these these studios because we keep paying. I know. We keep, we keep paying. paying. They just so, have to. They have you know to. What? As companies, they have to follow the financial trends. Otherwise, they die. Look what happened. Here's actually a good example. Look what happened with John Carter. This old, like, you know, oh, yeah. 1920s, 1930s serials Disney tried to make. Yeah. Nobody saw it. Boom. Dead. Well, now, okay. One, it was way over fucking produced. Like, they... Okay. <laughs> there, were, can, there were some other factors, but yes, we are... You gener- give whatever we're, reason you want. We are Leland. boiling it down. We are generalizing. So, please we, continue. <laughs> I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Please, no, go, okay. go, go. It's okay. You've got a... Nice, minimalistic <laughs> glass of wine right there, Leland. There's almost nothing in that glass. Except enough to run a tank for a week. Um, what's it going to say? But with John Carter, people voted with their wallets. They didn't see it. That franchise died. People do the same thing to Aladdin. I think you're going to wake up Disney. Look, even Solo was slightly profitable. But because people didn't really go yeah. out and see it and make it popular... Disney hit the panic button. They paused all their standoff, yeah. standalone films. And right now, all we have is a TV series in Star Wars Episode Nine. Okay, then I think that is something that Disney as a whole is doing correctly then. Right? They're listening right. to customer feedback. And they are tr- doing their best to course correct. Sure. But then, Leland, and I know you're getting at this point, then... What is the answer to rectify this problem? Honestly, it's on us. It's on the viewer. Right. We have to see Will Smith as a shitty genie in a shitty trailer and say, I'm not going to go spend my $13 on that on a Friday night. Right. It's the truth. It's worth my time. It's the truth. We don't throw money at it. They're not going to keep making this shit. Yeah. No, I I completely agree. Condescending controversy over. (laughs) We both win. It's a draw. It's a draw. Life's favorite. My favorite. Your favorite. Girder. We girdered ourselves. We girded into ourselves. We girded a nice little roof over ourselves. No, I completely agree. And I don't I don't know. Like, okay, when when the execs are sitting down and being like, hey, let's redo this movie. And they're pitching it. Like, what goes into those pitches? Like, what is part of that pitch? Other than this is the bottom line. This is what our projections say we're going to make. I think it's that, what and I think it's nostalgia. They they look back, they go, well, look at what Beauty and the Beast did. Look at what the Jungle Book did. Right. That's what I think they do. Yeah. That's why I think, I mean, if you want to get a movie made, I think that's why they're focusing on these bean counter accountants. With I, I think you really hit the nail on the head. I bet you they do have spreadsheets projecting what these yeah. remakes will do. Yeah. Ugh, I, fuck. Okay, and then, of course, like a factor in that, it has to be their... Their upcoming streaming service to be out this year, I believe, right. in 2019. Like, that's just more content for their service. Yes. Right? Yes, so it like, is. Yes, it is as well. Yeah. Uh, um, it's very cyclical. It's very, like, incestual almost. It's gross. I think one of the frustrating things is because you know, you know the potential that Disney could have with all their IPs yeah. and all their resources. You know what they could do. As far as originality yeah, is concerned. Yeah, and you always they have their don't. idea of what they, what you want them to do. You want them to do because they, I mean, the amount of the entertainment industry that they own now is gigantic. It's I don't want to throw a percentage. I don't want to throw a percentage, but I thought it was like around forty percent. It's ridiculous. the entire entertainment industry they own, and it's that's that's honestly just too much. It is that's too much. They've too just much. been <laughs> buying everything, and the regulators in the U.S. are just like, fine, just go buy right. this company. Buy Pixar. Yeah. Buy LucasArts. Yeah, we'll take your billions of dollars. Take your billions. And honestly, like, it puts, it puts okay, I think it puts way too much expectations on them as a company, mm. right? Like, like, we're like, okay, great. Uh, personally, okay, me looking, oh, great. They've acquired a whack load of Fox properties. Look at all these these comic book characters that they could be doing justice yeah they could fold into the mcu and we could really love that we haven't that have not been paid proper fan service before and now you get hyped and you get jacked up and then your expectations are way too high for the final product regardless of how great the final product is Mm -hmm. it's incredibly difficult to match a fandom's expectations, a fanboy, fangirl, fan non-binary, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> this these intense fandoms that 
regardless of what you do, they'll find something to nitpick because they are so devoted, right? Like it's just part of the it's this part of it. It's part of every fandom, right? Right. You can't do something 100% correct. No adaptation of any character already laid down on any type of print or or whatever type of media, you just cannot possibly do 100% fan service and satisfy 100% of the fans. And that goes for everything, obviously. Right, that's a very blanket statement that you can apply to literally any type of content, any type of uh, consumption, whatever. Right, it just that's just what applies. But you set yourself up to be the man in the castle, the man in the tower. You're setting yourself up for a greater fall. You just mm-hmm. you walking higher up that tower, the plunge down is just all that more damaging. Hmm. Hmm. Woo! Metaphors on point today. Fuck. All right. <laughs> For a segment that I thought was going to be lighthearted on cartoons, we sure got quite Yeah, we uh, we went right into it. We went right in. Um, I don't know, but I felt that was actually a pretty decent segment. I, I liked it. Yeah, so, I thought it was good too. Let's. Uh, we let's, didn't solve anything. No, we never do. No, that's. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what response do I pick? D D D D. Fuck you. Fuck asshole. you, asshole. <laughs> Inside joke, listener. Um, okay, let's jump into our final segment. Which is, as you have <laughs> titled, Alky Excitement. Basically, what forms of entertainment are best consumed while under the influence of alcohol? <laughs> Basically. Right. I mean, what, what, what do you like to do where, hey, uh, maybe, maybe a couple of drinks around the table are going to enhance the experience or are suited nicely for a relaxed kind of chill, you know, yeah. pop a beer. Everyone grab it. Let's, let's knock a beer back and have a good time kind of thing. Um, I'm going to start out by saying retro multiplayer games. And mm. I know that's a big T-HUD one, but I mm-hmm. think that's one that can be extrapolated to listener anywhere. Yeah. Um, the old cliche, they don't make them like they used to. That does apply to retro multiplayer games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, particularly from the N64 era. Um, I mean, we're spoiled in a way with, with my TurboGrafx-16 and the five-player port, so all the oh. T-Hud can play Bomberman and shit. Um, so a listener's not going to have access to that. But I think some of the other retro games, um, they really, really are good for, like, nights with alcohol and snacks. They really are. Yeah. Well, and that, I don't know, I think with those, they just they just lend back to an era that reinforced the split screen the split yes. screen era right yes. like you just don't they don't make consoles they don't make games centered around you know local four people in yeah. yes local multiplayer four people just sitting in a room just just playing their game playing the game right like right. just enjoying it and each other's company it's yeah they don't make games that way anymore no because they don't make money that way anymore no like the co- especially on the console, of course, where you have to pay subscriptions to be able to play some of these games online, which is still bullshit because the PC doesn't have to do. You can, yeah. You know what? I am sure I was too young at the time to drink by a little bit, but I am sure that Gen Xers had a fucking good time with GoldenEye sixty four. Oh and yeah, alcohol Definitely. back in the day. Could you imagine the parties that would have gone on? I mean, that game. When I played it for the first time multiplayer, it was like a revelation. It yeah. was groundbreaking. Totally. And you combine that with booze if you're five, ten years older than I was. Um, man, that would have been a hell of a good time in the the late nineties. Yeah. I just even like uh I just have so many so many fond memories of just even a couple of console generations ago, like PlayStation Two. Mm-hmm. One multiplayer game we played so much of was Time Splitters. Yes, man, I love Time Splitters Better too. Get, getting well, the getting's good. Oh man, Time Splitters two was so oh, good, so good, so much fun. So and again, fun. we weren't nearly, we weren't drinking age. Like, well, Marty and I, God rest his soul, R.I.P. <laughs> we weren't drinking age, uh, and certainly my younger brother, like, we weren't drinking age at all. But I don't know, it's just. I mean, I don't want to say, like, booze makes everything better, because it doesn't, obviously. You don't, it you didn't don't, make Power Rangers better. <laughs> it did not. <laughs> and you don't need to be drinking and playing these games and having the same experiences to have a better time. But no, if you are so inclined, 
these are things that pair well. I just think they go well together. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Um. I mean, it's interesting though. Like these games, do they serve? Okay. So generally, alcohol serves as a a social lubricant. Lubricant. Yes. Like, uh, do these games also serve that same purpose? Do you think? I actually think they do. So I think that both the games and the alcohol reinforce each other. Okay. Um, you know, I look at Wayne Gretzky's 3D hockey, Possessed by the Soul of Satan. Garbage game. And <laughs> Which we still continue playing. Hate that game. And, no, we do hate it. We all hate it. Every yeah. single person that plays it hates it. But it is more fun with alcohol. Than, you know, when you win a 16-14 game. That goalie's on fire! That goalie's on fire. He's he a brick wall! Yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, that is one of our all-time favorites. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. You look at one... I think worms would be fun if we had drank more plant because it's like precision-based and aiming. Oh. I think we'd like forget about the wind and bazooka. I don't know. So. I feel like that one would borderline frustration. Hallelujah. <laughs> worms is so good. Well, it is frustrating when you get a girder pack. That is... Oh, man. Girder's the best part of that game. There is no worse part of a video game than in multiplayer with leland when he gets a pack of girders and locks you into this like prison look you cannot taste or smell what it (laughs) what it boils down to is a consumption of resources all i'm doing is making you consume more resources than myself girders are the way to win at worms okay if you're not using girders you're not playing the game if you're not using girders listener you're not playing the game yeah (laughs) <laughs> if you're not Gerner and you're last. <laughs> Ricky Bobby. <laughs> yeah, so local multiplayer, I think, is is really good in alcohol. Um, okay, Leland, I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball here, but do you think any board games or card-based board games would be really good on booze? Hmm. I know we haven't done it much, but... Yeah, no. Um, well, I don't know. They make... There are so many different party games that they make, like even like like hobby party games. Um, you know, very recently, I think it's called Just One. It's come out like Happy Salmon. It's like Happy, Salmon? Happy Salmon. Like wow, you. Ah, I don't know the exact rules, but you're like you're you're making like a fist. You're trying to get people to either shake your hand, like give you a fist bump, or like a high five or something. I I don't know. It's wow. It's just crazy. Yeah. So they make so many different games that you know could possibly be enhanced with with some alcohol, hmm. but. Yeah, I think you could say that for any any party game, really. Yeah, I do think um, certainly some of the games you have are complicated to a level that I don't think booze would help with. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. Hey, Downforce, though. Whew, Downforce was awesome when we were lit. Yes, we were lit, and that was so <laughs> Downforce fun. was so fun. The cars, cars are going so quickly there. <laughs> I like They're them. zooming around They're the so fast. <laughs> zooming. <laughs> Um, you look at one of our all-time favorite games, all of T-Hud loves Lords of Vegas, but yeah. would would booze lubricate Lords of Vegas? Uh, no. So the person running the game couldn't, oh, I don't, could not should partake. not be. No. Because no. you were like basically a human computer. Yeah, you, yeah. whoever's running the bank in that game <laughs> should not <laughs> be. One, two, give me five. How many lots? Six, how many lots do you have? Look at this dice. You can't. <laughs> No. Also, like other really good games, like I like Black Orchestra. I'd hate to play Black Orchestra. Nah, drunk. No, no, those games you, you can't you do. Just it. Can't. You need your you focus. You need your focus. You could you could have a beer with them. You could have one beer with them. Sure, but, sure. Um, but other than that, uh, no. Like if you are if you are having a gathering specifically to play some of these games, as opposed to these party games, which lends to having some people over and hey, let's bust this out. Right. Those are two very different things, obviously. Right. right. Same with, um, I mean, same with, same with the video games. If you want to bring someone over and have some competitive multiplayer games, you can't do that. Even like, um, <laughs> well, shit. When, uh, at Christmas time, when we were playing the new, the new Smash Bros. Oh yeah. <laughs> like I was relatively buzzed, and like I was getting pissed off at these fucking controls because like they're they're weirdly complicated when you jump into it yeah. and then you you very quickly adjust to them that was a good party game yeah smash bros itself the original is a great party yeah that'd be so much fun drunk. yeah 
Well, you got like three buttons. That's it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And they somehow all make sense. And I'm running around just shooting big balls of energy with Samus. That's it. Samus. That's Samus all, you, all the you, way. You like to shoot your big balls. Yeah. Big balls. Great yeah. balls of fire. Share my balls with everybody. <laughs> you want some balls in the face? I'll give them to you. <laughs> <laughs> it's Leland's offer there, listener. <laughs> That's the $5 Patreon tier. Anything to get our first Patreon. <laughs> I mean, we have lots of Patreons. We're really popular. <laughs> All right, have another drink there, Lee. Mm. Bottoms up. Mm. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. We're so I mean, I think we're we, so poor. I think we, <laughs> I think we covered like whether or not alcohol makes some of these games more or less fun because clearly there are some that are more inclined to have a couple with than not. Right. Um, but okay, but we haven't talked about snacks, food. Oh, what do you pair well with some of these same these same instances? Okay, here's the trick, and we've we've never got this right as friends. We need to have the pizza after we're significantly inebriated. Now, that said, I think pizza goes well primarily with movies. Right. I don't know why I'm saying this, but I think it does. I think the gold standard food for getting drunk and then eating that food has to be Chinese, though. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I think I I would savage King's Kitchen right now if they were open. <laughs> I would just I would get like five orders of lemon chicken with you. Oh, just, okay, hold that thought. I must pee. Uh, hey, listener. So this is War of the Worlds. The aliens came from above high. They entered our atmosphere fear through fiery comets they hit on many different continents at first we didn't know who they were but then from the ashes came their long legs and their spindly bodies they moved towards our largest cities scanning carefully at first our police force and military didn't know what to do we didn't take shots at them and then they reached out one of their appendages, and with that they teleported our law enforcement and our military personnel into their basket, which held people. They continued to move along towards our cities. Finally, we brought in tanks, but the tanks were destroyed by their lasers, their heat rays, their death rays. They moved towards our largest cities, and there was no defense. And within that, they were capturing more and more. Welcome back. What the fuck is going on? What are you doing? I got to listen to a random 20 seconds of weirdness. Yeah, I was basically trying to recreate H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds radio telecast. Ah. Because it scared people in thinking the world was actually under attack by aliens. Yeah. So I tried to do the same with Listener. I'm sure you Okay, so what would you think if you heard that, like something like that now? Would you like immediately be like, oh, that's a hoax? I would say it's a hoax. Because right you look outside and you're like, well, nothing's going on. Back then, radio's all you had. So if you tune in and you That's hear true. all these things, That's true. and they've got like sirens and all these sound effects, you'd think it was real because right. you wouldn't know otherwise. Yeah. It's a true story. So what would you need to do to make that, make like the equivalent? What is the 2019 equivalent of that to make it as believable? I don't know how you do it, but it has to be multi-platform. So you would have YouTube videos of an invasion. You'd somehow have it on TV. Yeah, you need, you'd have you like need a, a podcast about yeah. it, like saying, hey, we're under an invasion. You know, radio podcast. You'd have to have it over multiple platforms. And I don't wow. know how it's possible. That would take such a coordinated effort. Too. It would. Yeah. It would. Would it even be worth it? To what end? I think it would be worth how, it. How could you monetize that? How would you make money out of that? Uh, well, you'd become famous for doing it if you were to pull it off. Okay. Um... And then but you yeah, think you would get, you yeah, but to what aspiration? To what aspiration? Be like a filmmaker or something like that. Huh. I think that's really all. Yeah, you you do. make the next Cloverfield and the next shitty that's Cloverfield. That's right, the next shitty Cloverfield. <laughs> so, uh, um, what were we talking about? I forget. Well, we had just basically talked a lot about, um, we were, well, we were starting to talk about foods. Oh, yeah, yeah Chinese food. And I was mentioning. Yeah, that, we have a, a local... Like you mentioned, King's Kitchen. Established. Local, uh, you know, Maple Ridge and the Tri-Cities of the Greater Vancouver 
regional district in British Columbia, Canada. <laughs> Thank you for doxing us. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you. I'll give you the exact uh, <laughs> GPS coordinates. Uh, only available to our patrons. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We have so many to give out. Patron-only content. <laughs> lots, of, <laughs> lots of doxing because we're so popular in Patreon. <laughs> Let's cry together, Lila. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> fuck, this wine is kicking my ass. <laughs> Yes, Chinese food soaks up a lot of the alcohol, but so does pizza, right? But I think that Chinese food has a less soaking factor than pizza does. Like, pizza has been the perennial tea hut buzzkill for forever. Like, I remember so many UFCs at Marty's house where it's like, yeah, we're going to drink, dudes, we're going to drink, we're going to have pizza. And so we drink, we have pizza, and, like, the pizza just soaks everything up. Yeah. And you're like, you know... This hey, sucks. I'm hey, going to bed. Leland, how are you doing? Good. E equals MC square. I, I can make like a cognitive <laughs> <laughs> equation because you're not drunk. Like synapses are firing properly. And it's like... Right. But alternatively, some of those same UFC nights with Chinese food. Right. Like we're pounding back 20 MGDs. That's right. And bada bing, bada boom. And, Mar- and it ends in Marty and me fighting or Marty and your brother fighting. Yeah, but, but the point is you were drunk. <laughs> And the thing is, that's why I'm saying Chinese food is the good balance of greasy, but allows you to actually get drunk on it. It doesn't have quite the carb load that a pizza does. No. And I mean, if you look at, like, if you look at a pizza munched up in your stomach, what that is, that is like a ball Ball of of carbs that soaks up whatever it touches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it soaks up boost. Whereas Chinese is like noodles, it's meats, it's things like that. Yeah. But things that are kind of keep the boost separate. Right. Salts, yeah, right. heavy on the salt. Um, yeah, but the booze kind of flows around the food material. When it's it it's comes a better to feng shui. It is better feng shui in the stomach. It's better feng shui, and it allows increased absorption of alcohol content. Yeah, you know we don't drink anywhere near the amount that we used to, like ten years ago. Oh man, we used Holy to drink fuck, so man. much. It was ridiculous. Well, okay, literally, like, back then, we were, like, watching, like, every UFC that came out. We would get, for one thing. And then, eventually, the UFCs got where, literally, there was a UFC every, like, two weeks (laughs) that we were, like, having some beers and ordering food for. Like, it was excessive. Do you remember when I liked that girl who was part of Storm HUD, and then... I asked her out and she said no. And five minutes later, she was making out with Riley <laughs> six inches away from me. And I was just like, hey, listen, yeah. Riley. That hi. was a good New Year's. Yeah. <laughs> that was fantastic. That was my favorite of all. <laughs> uh, but we did have fun. Grindhouse. Grindhouse are good movies to watch when you're drunk. Oh, yeah. Totally. And all of them. Hobo with a Shotgun. Machete. Machete, <laughs> Machete. Return. Yeah, Machete too. <laughs> Black, oh, are they ever going to make Machete in space? Well, um, the other two made no money, so my guess is no. Oh, fuck. I don't know, man. But, oh, Do you want to talk about something else? I don't know. Wine, red or white? <laughs> you know what, really? I mean, unless I, I did want to bring up Grindhouse as being awesome films to watch while yeah. drunk, but I don't really know what other films are good to watch while drunk, so... I don't know, I think... Uh... I guess any, like, comedy. Yeah. It just makes it more funny, I guess. Knocked Up, 40-Year-Old Virgin, those ones. Yeah. Those would be good. But, uh, I don't know, maybe The Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, 3, would be pretty good. Yeah. So yeah, maybe. It'd be consistently funny. Yeah. Um, or a bunch of the best of SNL stuff, best of Alec Baldwin, best of Will Ferrell. Yeah. Best of Christopher Walken. Yeah. Oh. So, but, uh, no, it's pretty much all I got. Do you have anything? Is he drinks, he drinks. Okay, listener, by this point, we're pretty fucked. No, that's good. This is good. We're like an hour and a bit in. No, that was, is a lot of fun. Should we wrap it up? Do the end of the show stuff? I think so. I think anything else would just be pushing it. (laughs) I got to walk five blocks home without walking into a bus. So. Oh, boy. (laughs) <laughs> okay, well, we are the T-Hud Popcast. You can see us at 
ttpodcast.com. That stands for the T-Hud Podcast. Absolutely. Dot com. We're on Facebook and Instagram. I'm on Twitter. Should we make a T-Hud Podcast Twitter? We probably should. And then I can yeah Trump on it. And we'll just... <laughs> <laughs> this kid. And we'll just uh okay, I'll get on that. But uh yeah, ttpopguys.com. Um if you like what we're doing, maybe you'll support us on Patreon. No big if you don't, but you know, whatever. And <laughs> <laughs> it is a biggie. We're dying without you, listener. We're dying without like, you. We just want to put out more content. I just want to hit some of them content goals. That's all. That's it, that's it, baby. I am working on the pilot for learning with Leland. Which I will, which will release for incentive for Patreon incentive. Co-starring Lavar Burton. <laughs> oh, that would be awesome! Wouldn't that be? Oh my god! That'd be the best thing. Ever. That would fucking get us patrons. Oh yeah, that would hundred percent get Levar, us. Lavar, if you're out there, we need you. We love you. <laughs> Reading rainbow. <laughs> That's right. You're uh, for I've been I've been Leland Steele. I've been drunk, Moby. Take care, listener. Thanks, listener. Bye-bye. <laughs>